Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. It's good to be with you all tonight. I'm going to talk to you tonight about finding peace when troubled or anxious. And you may not know it, but you don't know me very well, but I have spent way too many years of my life feeling troubled and anxious. In fact, my wife has a nickname for me, Captain Safety, which basically means that I um, tend to overthink things, tend to worry about what's going to happen, double, triple check all the seatbelts and helmets and locks and make sure nothing bad is going to happen. And I also have a gift for horribleizing. If you've seen that TV show, This Is Us, where that Randall tends to panic about all the things that can happen and his wife has to talk him through it. I have that gift as well. And I think my, my uh, now deceased grandmother um, sensed this when I was younger and she would always pull me aside and say, Jeff, don't borrow trouble. And she would just try and reassure me that things are gonna be okay. So I certainly understand what it's like to feel troubled, to feel anxious, and to want peace. I'm also pretty well acquainted with the grief and the anxiety and troubles of the people I've worked with for over 20 years as a marriage and family therapist. Um, every day in my office, I work with good people who are just struggling and wondering if things are gonna be okay. I also write a weekly relationship column for Meridian Magazine and people send me emails every single day with questions where they feel troubled and want peace. I have a folder in my email with three or four hundred questions I haven't been able to get to that are all full of just some of the anxiety and struggles that we just have living on this earth. And the thing is, is that none of us are going to be able to escape this. My dad used to always tell me, you know, Jeff, none of us are going to get out of this life alive. Every single one of us is uh, going to have to die. And I'm also going to add that none of us are going to get through this life without some really white knuckle, scary, anxiety induced moments where we really do wonder if things are going to be okay. And that's absolutely God's plan for us, which seems kind of odd for a loving Heavenly Father to put us in conditions that would terrify us a lot of the time or at times, right? But I want to reassure you that um, Heavenly Father, in all of His wisdom, created these conditions precisely to be like they are. He created conditions that are unpredictable. He created conditions that involve humans who have agency and who are flawed in every way imaginable. And it's, it's, it seems like maybe something has gone wrong or maybe things aren't working like they should. But I want to reassure you that this is exactly how He designed it. And it's designed, as, as we'll talk about tonight, to draw us closer to Him. Because if everything just worked really well all the time, you and I both know that we probably wouldn't turn to God as often. And He wants us to turn to Him. He needs us to find Him. And plus, we're here on probation on a, as a test to uh, see what we will choose. And so the conditions have to be challenging. And challenging they certainly are. Everything I'm going to share with you tonight are things that have happened to me, things that I have learned from my own experience, both personally, mostly personally, but also in my work. 
And I want to reassure you that everything is ultimately going to be okay. Like Elder Holland says, we know what the final score is going to be. We know what the end is going to be. But getting there sometimes can be really nerve-wracking. And so Sister Oaks um, recently spoke at a BYU-Hawaii devotional, and she shared a reminder that in the last days, everything is going to be in commotion. And she said that everything's also going to speed up. Have you felt that? I certainly have. It feels like things are getting more chaotic and they seem to be going faster. And again, that's just part of the, the great wrapping up. In Mosiah, we read that, Nevertheless, the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people. Yea, he trieth their patience and their faith. And just like that famous scripture in 1 Nephi chapter 3, verse 7, where Nephi says, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded, he also adds that really important thing because he knew, and I'm just paraphrasing now, but he knows that the Lord would never put us in a situation that he couldn't help us through. And he won't command us to deal with these conditions if he knew that he couldn't get us through it. And I'm really grateful for that. But the struggle's real. Elder Holland gave a great talk uh, years ago, 20 years ago, where he said, the trials of life can be very deep and we are not shallow people if we struggle with them. But I want to let you know that in my experience, there's, there's really a difference between being anxiously engaged and anxiously disengaged. We use the phrase anxiously engaged a lot, but it's not the kind of anxiety that I'm talking about tonight. Anxiously engaged, to me, means that we are feeling close to God, that we are being earnest and we're committed to serving God, and we're trying to trust that all things are going to work to our good. So the anxiety is more of an earnestness. It's more of a desire to just keep trying. There's no panic. There's no ongoing fear. We have a sense that everything's going to work out okay, even though we do certainly have moments. But being anxiously disengaged is really this other idea that we feel like it's up to us, that we really feel like we're on our own, that somehow we've just got to make this work out, and that maybe we are invisible or maybe forgotten or forsaken. And at the core, being anxiously disengaged is about not trusting that God can make everything work to our good. It's maybe believing that um, the future is not going to work out. And so the disengagement from God, the disengagement from others even, leads us to feeling actual anxiety, not earnestness, but it may be a paralyzing fear that we've got to figure this out and that we're on our own. I certainly have been acquainted with both of these types, the anxiously engaged and the anxiously disengaged. And I hope you know I recommend to you the former, and we're going to talk about how to get there. Now, there's another way to understand this. There's that great scripture in Mosiah 319, that King Benjamin, where he teaches about the natural man. All of you know it. And if you go through that, you, you really understand this anxiously engaged thing, right? Where he says, we're to be submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth flick to, uh, to inflict upon us, even as a child submits to his father. But the opposite, right, of being anxiously disengaged and being full of anxiety, if you just sort of take the inverse of all of those, this is what it sounds like. That we're, you're resistant, troubled, proud, impatient, full of misery, unwilling to submit to all things which the Lord seeth to inflict upon us. 
The Savior taught us that perfect love casteth out fear. And so the closer we get to the Savior, the more we start to trust and our fear starts to drop. I want to teach you a pattern that I've noticed in my own life over the past 20 plus years. I'm 44 and I've been working at this as an adult for the better part of 25 years now. And I've learned a few things about this pattern. And really, I trust this pattern. This pattern has helped me reduce my own anxiety, my own trouble, my own fear. And it's helped me feel close to the Heavenly Father. And the thing is, is that I still use this pattern today. This pattern is very active for me, even as we speak right now. Just a day or two ago, I was in the middle of trying to work through some anxiety and some trouble and trying to figure out how to get recentered. And I go back to this same pattern. So I've not outgrown this and I don't expect to anytime soon because I'm in conditions like you where we keep working through surprises. We keep working through disappointments. We keep working through our own flawed humanness. We keep dealing with other people's choices. We keep dealing with just the conditions of mortality. And so to have a pattern or to have a plan or to have an understanding of what to do when these things strike us is really at the heart of the gospel. I'd like to break it down for you and maybe share with you tonight what I've learned and what my pattern looks like. And I've broken it into four pieces because as members of the church, we love things broken down into fours or threes or sevens, don't we? So number one is to learn the difference between light and dark and trust the light. So light and dark are as old as the creation of the earth. It's been around a long time. They're both very real. You can tell light and dark. Anybody can. It's, uh, and one is expansive, which is light, and the other one is restrictive, which is darkness. And you can trust the difference between light and dark the same way you trust gravity. It's never going to let you down. You'll always know exactly which is which. Now I get that we live in a world that moves between shades of light and dark. And sometimes it can get tricky, but we can always know the difference. Part of this pattern is to always move toward the light and trust that further direction or instructions will come. It's like driving a car. You can't really steer the car if the tires aren't moving forward. It's critical that, that in trusting the light, that's a, a principle of action. It's about movement. When I returned from my mission in 1995, I went back to BYU and I was ready to start dating. I'd actually never had a serious girlfriend before. And I thought I'd sort of held off and trusted that that would happen after my mission and I would start becoming serious and starting to try and meet someone. I was very interested in having a family. It mattered a lot to me. I grew up in a good family and, and wanted to, to have those experiences and have children and just move forward. <clears throat> But I had a ton of anxiety and trouble about that because this was all brand new to me. And so I dated different girls, tried out different relationships. I found myself about eight months after my mission starting to feel pretty discouraged, which I get in probably like regular life isn't that long. But at the time for me, it felt like forever. I feel like I wasn't getting anywhere. And the girl I was dating, I was pretty interested in her and I really thought she was perfect for me. And in a way, she thought she was perfect, but for the missionary that she was writing. And so I wasn't getting anywhere with this relationship. I called my mom, and my mom's a pretty wise person. And I said, 
I told her what was going on and how I felt like I was getting the run around and how this girl wasn't being straight with me. Um, and my mom shared something with me that really is the foundation of this pattern. She said, Jeff, she said, either things will continue to get better, right, which is light, expansion, or you'll just be more confused and things won't progress, right? Sounds so simple, right? But it was that simple. Because as I, as I looked back on this relationship with this girl, I was doing all the work. It was getting harder and harder. It was, I felt like it was getting more restrictive. And I had a hard time feeling expansive. In fact, when I was around her, I felt like I was shrinking. And so the pattern made sense to me. And so I said, okay. So I broke up with her. And a little pro tip for you who are considering breaking up with somebody, don't, uh, don't do it the way I did. <laughs> I started on a car drive from St. George and I was so anxious about letting her know that I was going to break up with her that I told her about Leeds and uh, <laughs> we were headed back to Provo. So you do the math, that's about three and a half hours of a lot of silence in the car. And about Cedar City, she asked if it was her and it just, it was bad. So, if you're gonna do it, just wait till you get to Provo, say it, and then open the door and be done. Um, if you don't remember anything from this devotional tonight, you're welcome. So, it takes faith to move toward a relationship. It just does. It's a very scary thing to trust that this thing will either go good or bad. We have to take that step. Elder Holland says that. When we start dating someone seriously and we start giving ourselves more to them, it, you start moving toward one of the most trusting things you do in human experience, which is to give yourself to another person. So understanding that, that this pattern, whether it's with marriage, whether it's with your career, whether it's with friendship, where you're gonna move, and at this time in your life, the decisions seem to be multiplying by the day, right? There's just so many things you have to figure out. But I promise you, that light will expand, darkness will contract, and that your Heavenly Father gives you light to help guide you. <clears throat> Moroni chapter seven teaches this pattern. He says, the way to judge is as plain that you may know with a perfect knowledge as the daylight is from the dark night. And now seeing that you know the light by which you may judge, which, is, which light is the light of Christ, See that you do not judge wrongfully. And then he says, I beseech of you that you should search diligently in the light of Christ, that you may know good from evil. And if you will lay hold upon every good thing and condemn it not. That's the pattern. And you can know with a perfect knowledge whether something is worth going toward or going away from. One more area that I want to talk about, about light versus dark, is... Uh, I think really matters a lot in today's day and age. Anytime that we have any kind of pain, whether it be relationship pain, just emotional pain, um, mental anguish, physical pain even, there's a tendency we have as humans to want to get out of pain. It's just how we're built. We just don't like to be uncomfortable. And so there's a tendency when we're in pain to start numbing or start avoiding, which is another way of kind of going into the dark, if you will. And there's so many ways to numb out in, in 2019. We can do everything from overeat, food is pretty plentiful. We can uh, binge watch virtually any show we want to. 
there's plenty of screens in front of us to check out on and then the content on those screens even right there's the the, the social media or the screens or just the looking at games and things like that but then there's even content that can take the numbing further there's content of course like pornography or other things that are just so damaging to our spirits but they just numb us and they actually can eliminate the pain temporarily and i just want to invite any of you here tonight that are struggling with any type of addiction where you feel like the pain you're going through is so serious that you have to numb and check out and mood alter that you put that in the light that you open up about it to somebody in my work as a marriage and family therapist and in my own personal life i have seen what the miracles that happen when we take the things that we're just terrified for anyone to know and we hand it over to people who are safe, representatives of the Lord with your bishop or your stake president, to a loved one or a trusted friend, to a group of people, maybe in a 12-step meeting. But I promise you that as you put things in the light, the relief that comes from that, the real connection, the, the light that follows all of that will be a more powerful mood alteration, if you will, than anything you can synthetically produce with an addiction. And you can trust that. Alma the Younger trusted it. He was suicidal. He wanted to die. He was giving up. He was struggling in Alma 36. And he remembered something his dad talked about with Jesus. And he turned around. He did a 180 in that moment and was filled with light that was as great as was his pain. And that's the pattern. So putting things in the light will alleviate pain faster than just about anything. There are so many great resources and support for addictions. In fact, the church, I think, just released a few days ago over 60 videos just on pornography addiction recovery alone. That includes uh, words from our prophet and other leaders. And it's just remarkable this day and age how many resources are available. This does not have to be a life sentence for you. So please, whether you're struggling with putting down your smartphone, whether you're struggling with food or exercise or all the other kinds of millions of addictions we can get into, I want to invite you to stop spinning out and to find light. Hiding is as old as Adam and Eve. It was the very first thing that they were tempted to do when they found themselves naked in the garden. When we feel ashamed and recognize our own humanness and our own flawed nature and the mistakes we make, the instinct to hide is so natural for us. And Adam and Eve didn't only hide from God, I believe they also hid from each other. And so it's just so painful and isolating. But here we are all together, being in groups, being together, being open in the light is the way out. It's Zion, and I invite you to do that. And some people wonder, people often ask me, well, when should I take the next level and maybe open up or maybe get some professional help? And I mostly just want to share this with you, not to plug my business because I have plenty of work, but for your benefit, I want you to understand when, when enough is enough and you need to do more than just keep trying to do this on your own. If you keep crying and you don't know why, and you just find yourself stuck like that, or you want to stop but you can't stop, but it's starting to create serious consequences for you, or people might start calling you out on behaviors when you notice that you're self-medicating and numbing too much. Maybe you experience anxiety every single day. You don't want to get out of bed. You're having a lot of intrusive thoughts you can't stop. Or maybe you're even thinking about dying or wishing you could die. Please get some help. Don't keep doing this alone. 
I want you to know that the shame or the fear that you might feel about yourself when you're in that dark place does not come from God. He's not the author of shame. He definitely gives us kind of that healthy guilt, that healthy godly sorrow that moves us toward Him and toward the light. But that sense of being broken or flawed as a human being does not come from Him. And so if you're feeling those things or thinking those things, please don't believe it. And again, like the pattern says, trust in the light. Because if you're bound to the Savior through covenants, you're His. And He will advocate for you. And He knows you and wants you. And I promise you that as you turn to Him and open up and you stop trying to manage the creature as the Antichrist cohort taught and allow Christ to be there for you, you will feel different and you'll start to find your way out of the darkness. Principle number two of this pattern. If light versus dark is about direction, right, which way you're going to face, then this next principle is about movement. So the next principle is let your faith move you forward. I had no idea what I was going to do for a living when I got married to Jody. Uh, she took a terrible chance on me. I was studying communications. I didn't really even know what I was going to do with that. In fact, in our wedding line, I had random uncles and cousins and people from her side of the family asking me, you know, because there's those awkward moments where those lines stalled out and you're waiting and I'm having to talk to people I don't know. And they're asking me really probing questions about how I'm going to financially support my family. And I had no idea. So I'm just trying to blow it off and act like I knew, but I didn't. A lot of anxiety, a lot of fear being 22 years old and trying to figure out how in the world I was going to pay for anything. But I kept moving forward. This is part of the pattern. I felt the light. I knew I should marry this person. I knew I should go forward with this degree. I felt good about it. I knew it was the right thing. It felt expansive, but I had no idea where it was going to take me. Well, shortly after I got married, the door started opening, right? True to the pattern. I kept moving forward with faith. And I met Steve Thompson, who was one of my professors in one of my classes. And it just so happened that Steve took a real interest in me because of my last name, because my father was his seminary teacher back when he was in high school in California. And Steve took a real interest in me, took me under his wing, and got me lined up with some pretty big research projects as an undergraduate, which opened massive doors for me to get into graduate school. And um, I could not have orchestrated that in my wildest dreams. I didn't even know who this guy was. He found me, but the Lord directed him to me. And then my wife and I moved next door to Wally and Nancy Goddard, who, um, uh, a week after we got married, and Wally was a professor of human development and family studies and uh, had just been hired by Stephen Covey to help write Seven Habits for Highly Effective Families. And so we would spend evenings at their house eating chips and salsa and talking about marriage and families. And all of a sudden I felt like my soul was just expanding. I couldn't believe that people could do this for a living. I had no idea that you could just study and talk about and teach and just deal with family and marriage issues for the rest of your life. And I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. It was amazing. It was crazy. And so all of a sudden, my career path became so clear to me. I felt like I had just found the answer because I moved forward. I just kept going and the Lord kept lining up. And I could just spend the whole evening and night telling you all the ways that doors were opening for me. And I'm grateful for that. And it happened because of the movement. Moving forward is scary. There's that great hymn, Master of the Tempest is Raging, and there's a great truth in this hymn that I love. And the line says, 
No waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They, meaning the wind and the waves, shall all sweetly obey thy will. Peace be still. So in other words, any vessel, any ship, any boat that has the Savior on board isn't going to take in water and sink. And that gives me great comfort in moving forward that if I've got him bound to me through covenant and I'm bound to him through covenant, I'm going to be okay. So I just can move forward. It's going to be fine. He's the best traveling companion. He's not going to let you sink. And so part of moving forward then is making space on your boat for Jesus. And I find that for me, the best way to do that is to just spend time in holy places. Of course, church every Sunday is a must to take the sacrament, to go to the temple. And if you're not holding a temple recommend, to live in a way so you can. Of course, to spend time in sacred spaces in your home with music and, and scriptures and words of the prophets. And President Oaks uh, gave a devotional, the same one at BYU-Hawaii that his wife spoke at. And here's what he said that I love. He said, we can't, we can't decrease the evil that surrounds us, but we can increase our power to cope with it. And this is the part I love right here. We must carve out our own islands of confidence and serenity. We must strengthen our barriers. We should push back against the world. So this idea of carving out our own islands of confidence and serenity, boy, that's exactly what I needed when I was trying to figure out my path. And I still need it today as I'm still charting forward my path. Every day for me is an unknown. I keep moving forward. But having that peace gives you confidence and serenity. Having that space, it's beautiful. I love that counsel. Part of what keeps us moving forward are too many choices. Yeah, part of what keeps us moving forward is there's so many choices. Did you know? Did you know that Amazon sells 119,265 kinds of toilet brushes? It's true. That's way too many choices. And Back when I was a kid, there were three channels on the TV. And I think we got Fox when I was in high school for a total of four. And today, that just seems ridiculous, right? Because the channels are just going everywhere. I mean, heck, my wife and I have a channel now on YouTube. You can just make up channels. Channels are everywhere. And the truth is, is that these options paralyze us when there's too many of them. They're paralyzing. If you give a child too many toys, we found this out with our kids, if you give them too many toys in a room, they actually don't even know what to play with, and a lot of them won't play. But you give them like one toy, and they'll play with it. You and I live in a world of so many choices, whether that's with potential people you can date and marry, career options, um, even what to wear, what to eat. It can keep us from moving forward and believing that we haven't seen all the choices yet, or maybe if I make the wrong choice, because look, there's all these other choices. So the fear of missing out is real. It really is. Here's what Elder Scott says about this. He said, we should be grateful for such times, our times. But here's what he says. When you are living worthily and your choice is consistent with the Savior's teachings, and you, he says, Jesus, you, need, you need to act, you need to proceed with trust. God will not let you proceed too far without a warning impression if you have made the wrong decision. So you can have confidence in just moving forward with your choices. I love that. And recognize that there are things you can control and you can just start working on those things right now. You can control you. You can control 
what you do in terms of your personality and how you present yourself and you know kindness and worthiness and just all these things so there's a lot you can just do with yourself because there's so many things you can't control and the rest we just have to have faith that the Lord is going to work things to our advantage Elder Holland reminds us for the faithful things will be right will be made soon right enough he is a king he speaks for the crown he knows what can be promised Another, another, or President Oaks goes back and says, go forward with optimism and prepare for a long and productive life. He was speaking to young single adults when he said this. Go forward with optimism and prepare for a long and productive life. So if you feel paralyzed, have faith and move forward. Just keep going. Don't wait until you feel like you've made, you've got all the, everything figured out or you've seen all the options. Just carry forward and trust. Again, so the pattern is, Embrace the light where you feel it. Let it expand you. Keep moving forward with faith. And number three is help will always come. Help will always come. So carrying on with my little story, when I was in graduate school in Auburn, Alabama, in October of 1999, this was the height of my stress in graduate school. I was in the middle of my thesis, I was working in my clinical practicum, seeing clients for the first time. We had a 10-month-old baby boy. I had just finished these massive comprehensive exams. There were no breaks through the summer. This was a, this was a very intense program, and it was unrelenting. There was no stopping. So here, here it was, general conference weekend of October 99, and I'm pretty burned out and a couple things happened. I went to, to the church building to watch conference and um, on a Saturday and we were walking around. I was walking around the halls with my 10 month old, trying to keep him quiet. And this good friend of ours, Kim Umfris, she was probably 20 years older than us. She came up to me and asked how I was doing. And you know, you know how it is sometimes at church when you're walking through the hall and you just hope nobody asks how you're doing. Um, it was one of those moments. And she asked me, but I knew she meant it, and I couldn't get away with the normal, I'm good, you know, hide behind my kid, human shield or whatever. I had to face her and be honest with her, and I broke down. I broke down, tears coming down. It's like she had just kind of punctured my little bubble, and I was just needing some rescue breathing fast. And she just sat down with me, and she just said, actually, I don't know what she said, but she listened to me. <laughs> I don't remember what she said. It wouldn't matter. I was the one probably talking. But her, her words were comforting. She reassured me. She let me know everything was going to be okay. And she cared. And that to me was a profound rescue breath that I needed in a time that I couldn't provide for myself. And I was terrified and overwhelmed. And she'd been down the road a little further and knew that things were going to be okay. Her sincere and abiding interest in me was just the deep reassurance I needed that everything was going to be okay. And then, in that same session of conference, I went inside and then Elder Holland delivered what for me has become a talk I have re reviewed, I don't know how many times, a high priest of good things to come. Some of you may know this talk. And that became the second or third or fourth rescue breath and I felt like I could do it. Help came. Help came that day. But the pattern still happens today. So when I worry, reassurance always comes. 
These rescue breaths, these moments, these reminders come, and I've seen it happen so many times. It always comes in a kind word from somebody, or a sign, or a symbol, a reminder, even a note, something that says, I'm here, Jeff. It's okay. You're going to be all right. There was a retired BYU professor, Richard Craycroft, who talked about this same pattern that he's seen in his own life. Here's what he says. He says it's a simple pattern. The individual makes a gesture toward belief and faith. The spirit bears witness. The mighty change is experienced. And then the surprises of the spirit crop up from time to time to remind the believer that though he or she is 20 or 40 or 60 years out from home, our mutual Father will blow across the coals of our spirits, spark a surprise of, or shock of recognition in our souls, as if to say, here, my child, here is a whiff of truth, an essence of remembrance, a tangible something to remind you that I'm here, that you're on course, that your feet are still treading, however imperfectly, the paths that will lead you to joy and mortality and in eternity. He cares about me and he cares about you and he will show it. Though I don't presume to know why or when, nor do I agonize it about it anymore, I have learned to merely confess his hand in all things and shout, Hosanna. Okay, so number three, help will always come. All right, number four. Heavenly Father is intimately involved in the details of your life. You can see how all these build on each other. Heavenly Father is intimately involved in the details of your life. So fast forward a few years, now it's 2006, and I was doing pretty good. My wife and I had three little kids. Our youngest was six weeks old and I was uh, serving as a bishop. I had a great job, things seemed pretty settled. We were, um, for, you know, for all measures, we planned to just retire and die in that little community we lived in, in, in northeastern Arizona. We just thought we'd figured everything out. And we were pretty happy. Um, it was a good time for us. But then one day we were told both within a day or two, very clearly that we needed to move to St. George, the last place we ever thought we would live. We didn't even, it wasn't even on our radar as a place we would ever live. So none of this really made sense and it, pulling it off just seemed impossible. I didn't have a job here. I didn't have a house here. There was no reason for me to move to St. George other than we both felt very specifically that this is where we needed to be. So we followed the pattern. We discerned the light. We knew it was true. We felt expansion. We started moving forward. The help started coming, and we started to see God in the details. I'll just share with you a couple of things that happened. I wrote down in my journal during that time, in May, May June of 2006, at least that I could count over 40 distinct miracles, details that happened that allowed this thing to happen. And I don't even know how many I didn't count or didn't see. My stake president, when I sat down with him, I said, President Hunt, I said, I know I've only been serving as a bishop for two years, but I feel like we need to move. And he looked at me and he says, is that your final answer? And I said, yeah, that's my final answer. It's real. Like, we really feel like we need to move. And he said, oh, man, well, that explains why I've been getting all these promptings about who the next bishop should be. I couldn't figure that out. 
That was a huge relief for me, and I knew God was in the details because he'd been prompting President Hunt for a few weeks prior to that, and the poor man was so confused about why he needed to release this bishop who'd only been in two years. And that was a huge relief to him and to me. There was another miracle. We, had, we were trying to sell our house, and we'd put it on the market, and all of a sudden, there was lots of interest. And so we had just days to get it ready, and it wasn't ready. We had to do a ton of drywall repair. It's a long story, but there was just a lot of things we needed to fix in this house, and we needed to repaint the walls to make them match the existing walls. And through a series of mess-ups with the local hardware store paint mixer person, we ended up with about four different gallons of different colored paint that were all kind of close to the walls, but not exactly right. And if you've ever painted a wall after it dries and it's not right, you can just tell, it's just, it's bad, right? Different sheens, different, it was just, it was all messy. We didn't know what to do. And the, and the realtors were coming the next day with groups of people. So Jody, um, while I was at work that day, said a prayer and she grabbed a bunch of measuring cups out of our, out of our kitchen and put a bunch of separate little buckets up and like a bad scientist started scooping out different colors from all four of these buckets and made a bucket of the perfect match color and sheen and we painted our house that night and you couldn't even tell you can't engineer stuff like that <laughs> neither one of us have ever worked in a paint store and she never we never figured out the formula we had just enough paint we could never recreate it if we tried but it's stuff like that god was in the details and our house sold within two weeks and we were on our way to saint george within a month and we landed in two months we landed in saint george in july and the whiplash where i think we're still recovering from it 13 years later it was uh it was something else but i don't want you to think that it was just all rainbows and and uh, butterflies and unicorns and everything was just wonderful the whole time we moved here. We got here and I didn't have a job. I started trying to see therapy clients and figure out what I was gonna do to support our family. We we're living off savings. And I ended up in the emergency room four months later thinking I was having a heart attack and he just told me that it was stress and I needed to slow down. And I said, that's easy for you to say, you have a job, you know? And I just, <laughs> it just was really stressful. And, but I wanna reassure you that, again, I went back to the pattern. I went back to the pattern. You see, Nephi, and his, he kept reminding, if you read in the Book of Mormon, you remember why Nephi is always talking about, he's talking about Moses and the children of Israel, and he's always reminding his people. That's why they had to get the records. He needed them to remember, look, God has done this before. He's taken people from their home and put them somewhere else, and it works out. And so I had that journal. I had those 40 miracles that I had written down. And I went back to that journal so many times that first year, so many times. It kept me from hyperventilating. It helped me remember, remember, remember. God did not ask me to come here if he was going to let me fail. And so I kept trusting the pattern. God's in the details. God's in the details. This is right. And so if you're having experiences where you see God's hand in your life, I hope you write that down. I hope you keep them maybe even all together. Um, there's something powerful about remembering. There's something powerful about remembering his hand and how he's guiding you specifically because he is. I promise you, he's in the details of your lives. And I know that because some of the crazy details that he's been involved in in my life, 
like paint colors, right? He cares about us. He cares about sparrows, hairs falling off heads, paint colors, and all kinds of things. He's that involved. But if we don't know how he works and we don't understand who he is and his character, we'll miss it. Laman and Lemuel missed it. This is what Elder Maxwell said about. Elder Maxwell said, failing to understand the dealings of the Lord with his children, in other words, meaning his relationship with them, his treatment of his children, he says this is so fundamental. Murmuring is but one of the symptoms, and it's not the only consequence either. In fact, brothers and sisters, this failure to understand the dealings of the Lord affects everything else. To misread something so crucial constitutes a failure to know God, who then ends up being wrongly seen as unreachable, uninvolved, uncaring, and unable, as if he's a disabled and diminished deity. I promise you, God is reachable, he's involved, he's caring, and he is able. I promise you. So of all the uncertainty that we have to face, you can be certain that this pattern is truth. It's based in truth. We can be certain about the patterns. You might have a similar pattern in your life. It might look a little different for you, but I promise you there's patterns of how the Lord is working in your life. And remembering and embracing these patterns will bring you peace when you're anxious and troubled. Once again, the pattern that I've learned is to learn the difference between light and dark. Embrace the light. Move forward with faith. Recognize that help is on the way. And finally, recognize that your Heavenly Father is intimately involved in the details of your life. I want you to listen to the beautiful reminder of these patterns in hymn number 125. If you want to turn to it, you can follow along with me because I'm going to read you all four verses. It's really short. And I've asked it to be sung as our closing hymn tonight. I love this hymn. It fits the pattern of what I've experienced and it just uh, reminds me every time I sing it that everything's going to be okay. How gentle God's commands. How kind His precepts are. Come, cast your burdens on the Lord and trust His constant care. Beneath his watchful eye, his saints securely dwell. That hand which bears all nature up shall guard his children well. Why should this anxious load press down your weary mind? Haste to your heavenly Father's throne and sweet refreshment find. His goodness stands approved, unchanged from day to day. I'll drop my burden at his feet and bear a song away. That's the God that I know. I know that he is absolutely capable of taking any anxiety and stress that we have and, and lifting it from us. And yes, it will come back. It will come back. It's just part of living in this mortal world. But the pattern's the same, and we keep going back to him, and we renew, we recommit, we submit, we seek light, we keep trying. And one day, you'll end up down the road recognizing that He was with you and He carried you and everything's going to be okay. 
I promise you, he can take anything that you have going on and work it to your benefit and your advantage. I've seen that happen so many times in my own life where I thought for sure this was not going to work out okay, and it always does. So I'm optimistic only because I know that Heavenly Father cares deeply about each one of us. I'm grateful for these truths. I'm grateful for a Savior who makes it all possible, who gives us a way back to our loving Heavenly Father. And I share this with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.